listening to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson. Surprise guest today, Jason Daphnis. Ooh, Matt, I am so god dang excited. We have yeah, not covered yet. We have not yet covered uh, K-pop as a genre, and I'm really, really happy right. that we get to finally like. And with such an esteemed guest, somebody really knows the shit about it. I'm really right. glad we uh, get to do this episode finally. Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, super excited to be joined by AJ Moser. Uh, he's uh, you might know him from the Indie Heads podcast, and also he works uh, at Epic Games on Unreal and various other things. So, AJ, welcome to the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, and let's. Uh, so we both we got a very uh like indie indie rock capital I indie rock podcast today. I think. Yes, sir. Um, Back when uh, music like, was made with real instruments. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Um, you know the old fashioned way. Um, so yeah. Um, let's get into your pick. And uh, I mean, this is I'm sure an album a lot of people are familiar with. I'm familiar with it um, from back when it came out. Uh, Arcade Fire Funeral um, was I think '04, kind of the beginning of maybe a sort of a wave of of new indie stuff that was coming out at that time. Uh, AJ, tell us a little bit about your relationship, relationship to this album and, you know, why you picked it, what it, you know, kind of how it affected you back then. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, did not listen to this one in 2004, uh, as a nine year old, I hate to say, take my indie cred away. Fake fan, fake fan. Um, This, this podcast is canceled. I did, I did kind (laughs) of get like, you know, I was kind of on the early wave for Arcade Fire. I remember getting the Neon Bible CD from the local library, which is still like that <laughs> uh, generation of indie rock. So that was my like intro to them. And I got... That's like, that's so adorable, by the way. I know, right? <laughs> Little AJ checking out <laughs> Arcade Fire from I the I forget library. like what song I had heard because I was like raised on Springsteen and Springsteen covered one of the songs from Neon Bible. Um, and then I tracked down that CD, but... I mean, then they blew up with the suburbs, and that was basically uh, history was written. And so I found myself actually going back to this one, which is probably still their best record to date. Uh, one of the best records of all time. I think I put it in a category of like four or five. I would interchangeably call what I think are my favorite albums ever. Um, but I'm I'm just obsessed with this record as a cultural artifact of this time in the music sphere and how it feels like such a sort of uh, mystifying and and singular piece of work that's really rare to to find uh, the rippling effects of something like this. You know, this kind of legendary record that seemingly comes out of nowhere, creates a band overnight, and creates this impact and this legacy that still people are talking about almost 20 years later as this infallible thing. I think a lot of uh, rock projects in the modern era also kind of get held up as you know, what's going to be the next funeral or have the effect of like creating this, you know, massive effect out of nowhere. Uh, and it's something that it's a sensation that I find very interesting and exciting uh, in the indie rock sphere still going on. So, yeah, I also yeah. Uh, the songs are good. The songs are very, very good <laughs> on this album. And I'm super, super stoked to dig into them. Yeah. And that um, I mean, I guess I'm probably more like the age of arcade fire people. So, you know, like I was playing in a band, my guitar player gave me the CD and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a lot going on then, you know, in terms of, I don't know, there was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, LCD sound system. And, you know, we did the strokes last week. We're a little bit out in front of that, but there was just a lot of stuff coming out, you know, like broken social scene, things like that. Um, and that, yeah, this definitely seemed to kind of take that. I don't know. There was just a lot of energy going on at that time. And that this, this album seemed to kind of, maybe take it up to another level in terms of 
getting on a lot of other people's radar, I think, at that time. Um, yeah, you know, it was, and again, not speaking from experience here, but the kind of, the the myths around it are that it was this album that kind of came out of nowhere and was just, you need to drop everything you're doing and listen to this now, you're going to miss out on the next big thing. It was back when, like, a a single review could sort of create the impact of an album, and I think it's pretty funny that the funeral review is, like, tied to in some ways, making uh, the website pitchfork.com what it is these days. That was sort of the review where, you know, uh, hipsters in 2004 were refreshing that website and saw this glowing yeah. 9.7 review that uh, compared it to, you know, the you know the most important album of the generation and all these sorts of things. And you have to run out and get your CD copy at your local record store. So all of that kind of stuff is really yeah. fun to think about, especially in the yeah. modern landscape. I actually had a really, this is a, a different band, but it was the same era and just like, I mean, I don't think P- Pitchfork is somewhat important still, but I don't think any more important than a lot of different factors now, especially well, yeah, exactly. streaming. <laughs> but at that point, I had a really like firsthand view of that. Um, there was a band from Minneapolis called Tapes and Tapes. They had an album called The Loon that um, Pitchfork really got behind this record at the time. I think it's, I don't know if they really remember that well anymore, but um, like we played a local um, radio, a uh, college radio kind of like listener appreciation gig with them and like they were certainly no more popular than us and it was a day their pitchfork review came out and like um we were just on the bill with them and i was talking to the drummer and and the, the review had come out and said yeah that's really wild he's like i know we had no idea and all this stuff it's kind of exciting and so like that was maybe like a month and a half later they were supposed to open for the band the future heads at this place and we actually got the call because they dropped out to go play like headline this huge thing and like i don't know if it was roseland in new york or something but like back then it was like it took him from like a middle of the bill like wednesday night band in minneapolis to like headlining shows in new york in like a month or two yeah and i i feel like even these days with like landmark albums uh i'm thinking of the you know the new big thief record which you guys mentioned on your last episode but even with a record that's kind of as important as that one i feel like i've been waiting for that album to come out for like six months now uh, because they release so many singles and there's all these interviews and, and press releases and all of this sort of stuff. So, you know, definitely the way that we think about albums uh, as these singular pieces has certainly changed and kind of getting into one of the, the listener questions. So spoiling my answer for that, but I'm a huge album guy, album appreciator. I still, that's kind of the way I listen to almost all of my music these days. And so that's part of the reason I love Funeral so much is I think it's such a great, compact kind of statement of a record. Yeah, well, we should get into it. Let's play. Well, number one, every song in this record is called Neighborhood, um, which is convenient. <laughs> I think it's um, only like half of them. I know. I'm just, I'm to you. Yeah. Uh, this is Neighborhood One, uh, Tunnels in parentheses. So, you know, this kind of seems like a pretty good mission statement about like, this is what this band is about right from the get go. Um, seems like a good introduction. Let's play a little bit of that. Yeah, totally. I know it starts kind of quiet, so I'm going to just immediately start talking over it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love the way it begins, too, with this sort of the music ramping up, this nice guitar riff, and then the lyrics sort of, like, in the lyric sheet begin kind of with an ellipsis in the in the middle of something, which I find very interesting as well. And it's still going, but it's a great riff.
they like the slow build like, to the <laughs> they really do music, and for sure yeah, yeah they pull it off in a lot of different ways on this album but i think you know for me i never get tired of it but that's sort of their trick <laughs> This, this song in particular kind of builds with each verse, and by the time you get to the, you know, explosive finale of the entire song, it's going at, like, a breakneck speed. You really don't know what you're listening to anymore, and there's this big swirl of instrumentation with, you know, I was reading, uh, there's a great book about Merge Records called Our Noise, and it talks about oh, some yeah. of the first shows that Arcade Fire were playing, um... And they'd literally be just, like, running around the stage, jumping between instruments, tossing instruments to one another, uh, which is fun to imagine. But you could definitely hear some of that energy preserved in the recordings of this, because it's just people kind of banging on shit, and I think that really still comes through. I'm not crazy, then, for hearing, like, almost room tone in some of these instruments. Like, a very, very ambient sound to the recording. Like... Yeah, I, I expect, yeah. Uh, this isn't an album I think that's thought of as kind of a lo-fi album just because it is so Baroque and so grandiose, but mm-hmm. it certainly didn't have a ton of money behind it. No, like, they sort of had to go out and pitch this thing around uh, to get it made. So it was recorded, like, in a week in an apartment in Montreal. Um, well, no, I, I swear, didn't they record this at, like, that... The studio in Montreal that was like Godspeed You Black Emperor. And yeah, 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 yeah. Um, bands. I guess for the for the were... EP they sort of made it uh, yeah. in like a cabin, and then that's what they shopped around for this one. They, I, I think, got sort of snowed in. Yeah, they were at that the Hotel Two Tango, uh, which was like the Godspeed and Silver Mount Zion were recording there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they also did record Here. a little bit in the house that they were living in at the time i'm not sure what songs it was okay but yeah i, I could do overdubs anywhere really but i mean it's, it's a good sounding record i wouldn't call it lo-fi by any no stretch. not at all but i think like it's the some of the recording styles perhaps contribute to that sound jason was talking about yeah now they're getting up there it's kind of funny because um at the time, you know, this this something struck me about this album and, and them in general. Uh, this time, so many years later, that wouldn't have been a very hip thing at the time. But um, man, this a lot of places they really remind me of U two. Yeah, like, I, I mean, those are the grandi- <laughs> like the really grand and like, they had that insistent, you know, kind of like dun 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 dun, dun you know, bass lines and like. That kind of jigga 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 guitar stuff. Like I, I just, I never would have put them in that. I mean, they're not. I'm not saying they sound exactly like you two, but there's certain like that kind of like uh, you, grand. You kind wouldn't of be the first kind of thing if you were to say they sounded like you two. I think yeah, de- it's definitely one of their clearest inspirations as well. With like some of the 80s era Bowie, Bowie stuff, I think Leica really sounds like a Bowie song, um, and like Springsteen can't be left out of the equation either so they wear their influences pretty broadly on their sleeves but uh definitely kind of come out with a sound that I think is pretty pretty unique yeah no it was just I you know 
you kind of think at the time there was this like new hip thing, you would have thought U2 was kind of not. <laughs> yeah, right. No hit, one was trying to sound the, like U2. Coming, but you know, but it was very like, you know, U2, if nothing else, is like extremely earnest, right? Like the most earnest music. And I think there's that a certain, it shares that and the sort of grand gesture kind of thing. Totally. Um, and that's, you know, something that the detractors to this album, if you can comprehend them, they existing would say is that it's way too self-serious, way too dramatic. The, you know, lyrics are kind of apocalyptic and taking this small town feel and putting it in, you know, everything that's happening is just the most important thing in the world. And, uh, I mean, that's what I like about it, but to each their own, I suppose. Yeah, you know, speaking of you two, I think I got tickets because somebody had extra one, like, back in, I don't know, around the time of, like, that Elevation song or whatever. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, cool, I'll go for free. I was kind of skeptical being kind of an asshole about it <laughs> in my head. And then, like, I got there, and I probably had, like, three $15 beers, and they started playing, like, Streets Have No Name. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever seen. And, like, they're, you know... It's not easy to do with like that kind of thing in a in a big arena, you know. So I always appreciated that. Um, but you mentioned that one of my favorite. I think this is probably uh, you just mentioned like uh, neighborhood two, like uh, which um, I think this is clearly like one of the really standout songs. Um, this is kind of the one I remember really gravitating towards at the time. Yeah, and I liked it. This one's a little more aggressive in the verses. Almost sometimes he reminds me a little bit of like David Byrne in the in the um, in the verses too, the way he sings, but. I like the kind of, like, this balances out a little bit with, like, a more aggressive kind of thing in the verse, which I think is cool. Yeah. Uh, this was an early favorite for me. I remember, like, this was one of the songs that convinced me. I was, you know, very into this record. Uh... And there's something going on with the, the vocals here, too. Like, they do sound a little tinnier than on any of the other songs, which contributes to this sort of cosmic effect they're going for how often does he uh does win but it's win butler is the vocalist right yeah how often does he like overdub his own vocals to just double them like this you know it's it's kind of it's kind of something that they come back to a lot i think especially on neon bible he's basically duetting with himself at some points hmm. uh but this is like the most staunch example of that i would say yeah i was gonna say just because like I don't think anybody would disagree that his voice is not like a traditionally strong, like supported singing voice, right? It's a, it's a distinct tone. It totally fits with the music, but like the fact that his voice kind of already has this very unique tone, plus that tinny megaphone sound, plus duetting himself and not being perfectly in tune with his own voice just gives it this whole, like very dissonant sound to start the track. I mean, I, I like it. I like how it starts out, but it's one of the things that I assumed Matt would have fucking hated about this track. I'm actually <laughs> flabbergasted. Like, one, it's got uh, violin and concertina or whatever that other sound thought, is. I thought you were going to like really hate this song. What? I, think I like violin. What's wrong with violins? There's Ain't some hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I mean, you know, like, you know, I guess I would say that, you know, a little bit to a point you were making earlier, AJ, like, I will say at times on this album, I wish they would, like... They go to the kind of the big rave up thing often, yeah. you know what I mean, on this album. And I think that's like, I actually, which I wanted, a song that kind of like passed me by, maybe at the time that I wanted to kind of check out, which um, maybe we can check this out next. But uh, I do, you know, it is very grandiose for sure. And I think, you know, they pull it off. But there are times when I think maybe they could have like not gone to the same bag of tricks as often. But it is also a first album. And that's kind of probably what you learn over time. You know what I mean? Um, and 
I, I did find myself liking certain songs that kind of passing by. One in particular we listened to next, I think, was Haiti, which I don't even really remember at all. And I kind of like, I really thought this was a nice, like, I like having Regina sing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you, like, this This one is like, I don't think I noticed it because it was like more low key and kind of a change of pace, but I really actually enjoyed this one. It's basically, uh, a lot. you know, become a staple on the Arcade Fire albums since that there's always a Regine song on the B side. Um, it's often one of the better songs in the album, much like Haiti is. But I think, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be alone in Haiti sort of being a weird sticking point uh, when you first kind of encounter this record it sort of is thematically disassociated from the rest of the material and also just has a completely different sound um but it's become sort of a reclaimed staple uh for the band like they still keep it in all of their live rotations uh for shows that they were playing as recently as a few years ago like they almost play it at every show still um and it's just a real sort of star moment for for regine as well who's an essential component of the band yeah i think it was probably just it wasn't like really like you know soaring and kind of standing out so i probably just didn't remember it as well but i really i think it's a nice song and i like she's i like her singing yeah i think she's got a fantastic voice and again uh like with win butler it sort of is unique and comes up against you know challenges of what could be considered a traditionally strong vocal performance but i think that's part of the authenticity that made arcade fire so special when they were uh, getting big and you know, the moments when they're able to blend their vocals together, uh, she sort of gets two big songs on the back half of this one. Uh, but she's present on most of the other songs, just doing these sort of assorted hooting and hollering that's all over this record. So you spent years with this record, AJ, uh, and you mentioned the thematic content of this song in particular being maybe out of step with the rest of the record. Um, Maybe dig into that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that they have an album called The Suburbs that isn't this one uh, with four songs named Neighborhoods, but it has this very zoomed in, very insular, isolated sort of uh, subject matter, which I was kind of talking about earlier, where it's taking these very uh, youthful feelings and kind of interpersonal relationships and, you know, the death of grandparents and things like that and turning it into these big, broad high stakes uh conflict filled songs and this song haiti is uh more so a kind of testament to regine's grandparents who were fleeing the country of haiti uh to come to canada it's it's about sort of political strife and immigration and those sorts of things and and cultural legacy which are definitely present in the dna of the other songs but i think it's much bigger uh in scope than a lot of the other songs they're sort of you know very focused on tight-knit communities, small groups of people, the individual, whereas this one mm-hmm. is, is broader about nations and peoples and politics and that sort of thing. So, Yeah. And th- are they still a couple? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, wow, yeah. married with children still. <laughs> Oscar, come on, buddy. I hear, I hear that. <laughs> do we, do I'm, we have, I'm sorry, do we have a dog just became part of podcast. Oh, no, I, I love yeah, him. Man. So, like, no, I, uh, I mean, I said it before. The Crossfade community wants to hear more from the dogs. So, well, AJ. Oscar sees somebody out Clouds, there. Um, Clouds you know, wrecked. I took him to the dog park earlier. Hell yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. On their future albums, do they have like stuff that's more like this on future albums? Like, you know, kind of. Yeah, this sounds know, a lot walking. like uh, Rococo off of the suburbs or some of the popular tracks on Reflector. 
Uh, one of my favorite Regine tracks is Electric Blue off of Everything Now. It's like a tribute to David Bowie. I think that one's really good. But there's a lot more coupled singing uh, as they progress through the through their careers. So there are less wind songs, Regine songs, and it's a lot of just they're both present on pretty much every song, except for the ones I kind of mentioned where Regine gets a lot of moments that are like, this is the Regine song. Uh, gosh, why am I blanking on it? Uh, Sprawl 2 off of the suburbs is, you know, one of their biggest songs at the moment, and that one's exclusively Regine. Um, AJ, I want to make sure that, you know, we get through the ones that are any, uh, you know, that are meaningful to you. We've done a couple of neighborhoods. Is there any place... I just want to make sure we cover the songs that you really want to cover. So yeah, where would you like to go next? It would be funny to talk about this album uh, without talking about Wake Up. It's maybe not a song we have to listen to on the podcast, just because I imagine people have probably heard it. And if they have, throw it on, because I'm sure people would recognize yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But, Let's you know, it. it's uh, it's as iconic as a Arcade Fire song can be, I suppose. It was used in commercials by the NFL, and this was probably where most people probably heard Arcade Fire for the first time, if it wasn't when they weirdly won uh album of the year at the grammys in 2011 but yeah this song needs no introduction honestly i think um it is only the only thing you can hold against this song is the generation of imitators that it spawned and everyone uh you know you can basically point to this song and and attribute the uh what do they call it the millennial whoop uh the I, sort was, of, I was literally gonna bring that up i'm glad you brought it up yeah the the you know, you can look at bands like the Lumineers and maybe Mumford and Sons of Monsters and Men. <laughs> Anyone who has like stomping, clapping, and hooting in their songs and go, well, you know, they probably listened to Wake Up by Arcade Fire too many times. You but- know, that's really funny because I have actually, those, you just listed some uh, in, in the notes, like Monsters and Men. So I, I did find myself struggling to like not, it's the same way with maybe like some grunge bands and stuff like that. You got to be careful not to penalize something for what came after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, this definitely metastasized into something that was like, I don't, are we just making music for Volkswagen commercials here or what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> after a certain point, they kind of. So I, I did, I did really try hard to separate that because, like, it did, you know, this kind of stuff's a real balance. You know what I mean? It, it can tip over really easily. And I think, yeah. like, the Lumineers and some of that stuff, I just, like, I really couldn't stand, um, you know, because I don't think they really. They just took one element of it, you know what I mean? With maybe some of the weirdness and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that, too, is like, back to what I was talking about earlier with how their live performances in this era kind of really, really made them a band that stuck out in people's memories. Uh, They were dressing like that on purpose, you know, doing the whole fucking hipster pastiche thing. They wore, like suits on purpose and funny ties and weird little tweed vests and they stomped around when they were playing on stage and they would do uh parades through the crowd and have everybody stomp along and throw instruments and stuff one of my favorite uh recorded performances of all time people have to be like sneaky if they go look it up on youtube because i don't want it to get taken down but there's a full show that they played in paris in 2005 where yeah like uh richard reed perry is just banging on anything he can find and will butler's screaming through a megaphone and they're throwing shit out into the crowds and it it definitely looks like uh the lumineers watched that specific performance and we're like okay we're all gonna buy corduroys and the (laughs) tweed vests and we're just gonna do this but to, to your point about you know the grungy stuff too it's easy to see why this song connected it's so anthemic it's so uh kind of everybody sing along to it and I can't even imagine 
knowing nothing about the arcade fire as they were called back then and just kind of mm. stumbling in to see them opening for someone and they hit you with uh, a song like this one yeah well let's roll it probably the best guitar tones on the album oh man I, yeah a lot of I it's was... buried but that's I'm, striking I'm, this is almost kind of a real like 70s kind of like t-rex kind of like Ooh, real you got oh god rock, Matt, rock I, I wish that i could have just beamed my thoughts to you <laughs> six hours ago because i was like i'm gonna reference t-rex in context of this song and it's gonna blow matt's shit off <laughs> because Great i was like for, we, we spent too much time together jason i on, think so on, guess, talking about music for the first like four or five seconds of that song it is it's it's a 70s rock song, and it's like a really fucking ripping one. Not to say that like what comes after ruins it or anything, but it totally just changes entirely. I mean, it's like full-blown glam rock, basically, as well. Yeah. This is the one that David Bowie asked them to perform with him at some gala or something, like, in wow. 2005. Wow. Yeah, he was like, I want to perform one of your songs, Come With Me. Uh, but... The man had taste. He's he's basically doing a Bowie impression on this song, too, which is like, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of got to credit where credit is due, but he took the bait. It's a real, you know, it's the candle waver for sure. I oh, think this yeah, is totally, still what totally. they close all of their shows with. Uh, that yeah. that performance I talked about, uh, it's like rockin' rockin' scene, Paris 2005. They open with this one, which is really funny to see because you know they're essentially introducing themselves to a, a festival set that they're playing in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, so it's funny to open a set with this and then just try and maintain <laughs> that level of energy throughout. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, they eventually graduated to like arenas and small arenas. I was kind of like that. Yeah, they were, I saw that's what they were intending to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I felt like this was all had like arena ambitions. Like, even when they were probably playing small clubs, you know, like it's just it's big. Yeah, you know? I, I saw them headline Madison Square Garden, and it was like, yeah, this, that's kind of what this song was written for. It feels like. That's interesting about Bowie, though. That's uh, yeah. There's... I mean, of all the, cla- the classic rock guys, he 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 really kept his ear open to, to new things. I think throughout his whole life, you know. There's um, there's anecdotes in that book of like yeah, uh, Burn would show up backstage at their shows and just be like I like it, uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> of course he was. Yeah, David Burns always just hanging around saying just being really like awkward it. and weird. I mean yeah, not not on this record, but uh, both Springsteen and Dave Grohl have done really good covers of Keep the Car Running, which is off their second album Neon Bible, oh, sick. which is just kind of like yeah, they were sort of you know. They knew their influences very well, and then those people kind of came back around and said, you know what? Yeah, I think you got it. I think you nailed it. Yeah, if the listeners... This is like, I'm sure there's like 15,000 people singing this. Yeah, right. The shows. <laughs> it, sounds, it might as well be 15,000 people on the recording, too. That's another mm-hmm. uh, easy thing to make fun of for this one, is that, yeah, Arcade Fire were the original... 10 people on a stage sort of indie rock band <laughs> was that how many people the, were in the decemberists them in the polyphonic spree right the decemberists oh, oh, was yeah. like eight um you know yeah, this polyphonic is... spree had a real like kind of weird 
Catholic youth group kind of seventies kind of. Weird yeah, they thingy, had that but... one song that was in Scrubs that was really good, but I never could say I got into the polyphonic spree. Then, <laughs> like a Diana Ross song breaks out here. <laughs> And it totally is, you know, it's like kind of yeah, it is. Dun, 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 what do dun, they call dun, those? Dun, uh, stra- strawberry shortcake chords or something? Uh, oh, I don't know. Really? I don't. That progression, that one six four five, is just like do 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 do. Yeah. Supremes are a good band. Hot takes. Dude, I mean, pretty much all that Motown stuff to me is like just classic singles, you know. Yeah, and and it's it's good to bring that up too because. Uh, Wynn's grandfather is Alvino Ray, who is like a classic sort of uh, soul blues guy, and so I think you know music is was in the family. Uh, and oh, I didn't know that. The record is dedicated in part to him. It's called Funeral because as they were recording it, I think like they collectively lost a total of six grandparents or something like that. So oh, they no. kind of didn't, didn't have a name for the album and just said, "Well, <laughs> that's kind of what's going on here." So let's let's go for it. I think it's a you know, it fits. It's a great title. Yeah. Yeah. I I encourage anybody listening to look up a picture of Alvino Ray. That's A L V I N O R E Y. He looks like Win Butler dressed up like Fred Astaire. It's very funny. He's yeah. like <laughs> a very near near match. Yeah, Win Butler also worth mentioning here is like 65 and is maybe <laughs> Jesus Christ maybe really? maybe phasing yeah, out of he's tall as hell, maybe phasing yeah. out of music to be a professional basketball player he's been in the <laughs> NBA All-Star game like four times i think at this point he was the the MVP two years in a row and uh, <laughs> one of the greatest headlines of all time let me see if i can pull it up i think it's a stereo gum article it says uh the title is they said indie rock was dead but when butler just put up a triple double at the NBA All-Star game <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think yeah he's tall nick cave is super tall um, I'm trying to think is he, tall rock guy. Is he really, yeah, or is that a joke? Oh no, yeah, he's like a weird, like praying mantis kind of. Yeah, really. Thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone in this it. band kind of does look a little freakish. Um, yeah, which is part of the like, you know, they're it's part of the charm. They're you know the sort of hip, they're definitely a hipster. Uh, what am I even looking for? Just kind of point at and be like, yeah, that's that's what this whole 2010s hipster culture kind of thing was. But you know, they're the OGs. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's. I think before we check out to the next one, let's let's hear. I, I really like Neighborhood Three Power. I think that's got a really good chorus to it. Um, I, I don't. know. That's one of the ones that kind of stood out to me on re-listening. See, th- this is a YouTube beat, totally drum beat. Hmm. Yeah, but even then, it's a little like the rest of the instrumentation is a little toothier than what U two would typically be doing it's got like a, oh yeah a punch I mean, i'm, to I'm it. not saying there's just like elements of you two that i just didn't notice before i guess just i wasn't thinking in that mode back then you know yeah but. no this one and uh rebellion are the two most you two kind of sounding songs and they have that big big that's where they're really just going for broke um with the sort of operatic soundscapes of the whole thing uh i t- I-, I tend to prefer the more melodic songs on this album like uh neighborhood one is probably still my favorite on there and then crown of love is another one that really sticks out to me every time i listen to it it's just perfect introduction to the b-side but those are songs like this one that just kind of grab you by the throat from second one and don't let go you want to jump there before we scooch out of funeral yeah okay Crown of love. Say, 
This was another one that I don't think really stuck with me, but I enjoyed a lot more listening to it again. Yeah, this one maybe has the best of the explosive builds on the whole album. This thing turns into like a disco party on the back half. Mm-hmm. It just like this one really pops. I want to jump there. Do you have a timestamp in mind, or can I just I kind of freeball yeah. it? I actually kind of like this part personally. Like I kind of it's like talking about his dad. Yeah, stuff. it's like, a great I kind of like the almost like fifties very traditional kind of ballad. Thing. <laughs> this is like uh, this is the song they'd be listening to it like the Back to the Future ball, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. I I, I actually like. I think the more aggressive stuff stood out to me at the time, and then I kind of appreciate like this in Haiti a yeah. little bit more this time around because they were just like it's just kind of a very it's very yeah it's like traditional songwriting kind of you know. If you jump to like three and a half minutes, it's probably like there's a extended build, and then it pops. Right. Let's see if I'm a fake fan. Yeah, nailed Ooh, it. Wrong. I nailed it. Oh no. Ooh. Right, you have the kick drums and the percussion. It's all going just four on the floor, baby. <laughs> it is also wild the time signatures that change throughout this song. Yeah, it was in six eight for a se- for a sec there before it hit the disco beat, <laughs> and the sort of yowling is very mm-hmm. present here too. Is that Regine back in the back? It's probably everyone, but it definitely is. Uh, I think mm. they've got. Sarah Newfield on the violins here, um, and Owen Pallet as well, who's a great modern composer in his own right. But, Owen Pallet, yeah, we covered him on an episode of the show. Oh, which record? Uh, Matt, you brought it. Do you remember? Is Matt oh away from God. his mic? <laughs> no, no, I'm spacing, dude. Say it again. The Owen Pallet record that oh, we covered yeah, on what's here. What's it called? Uh, God, is it? It's not on leaving, no. Uh, I can't think of it. This is a great record. I am not looking through my podcast app right now. Yeah, please do. I just can't think of the title of it. Yeah, I love Owen Pallet. He's like super, just as an arranger. and I don't know. He's really good. Maybe that was... In conflict, Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's a good one. Oh my god, I just can. That is a rock album, but the 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 name doesn't doesn't stay with you. It's the music, you know. It's all about the soul of the music, the heart of the music. Um, speaking of which, did anybody else feel like we probably should have, or that they probably should have re- uh, uh, recorded Neighborhood Number Three? I think it was as like an actual bluegrass song, <laughs> or no, no, it was it was seven. I think I'm losing track already. How many? No, there's not a seven, is there? No, 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 no. Number two. Oh, number four. Yeah, seven kettles. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I'm such a fucking old man right now. Um, it is pretty wild to has... call, call your song Neighborhood Four Seven Kettles. That's just oh, too God. many numbers in one I, song and too many listen, parentheses. I already, I'm already developing dyslexia and glaucoma. I do not need this in my <laughs> life. Um, but I, I want to play just wow. a little bit of that because, like, this sure. song really does. I know that the whole idea was excess and not excess, but like lush instrumentation and really like beautiful bringing in as much uh, arrangement as you could and stuff. But this song just needed more for me. It just needed more to like build out that sound. Maybe it's the maybe they did that purposely to be like you're expecting more and you're going to get less. But anyway, it's a breather for sure. Um, yeah. If I had to pick the worst song on the best album of all time, it would be this one. I think Unani Sans Lumer, uh is a much better kind of spacer track on there. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because of where it comes in the sequence on the record. But I mean, this this does give you a nice little break and. 
yeah, in that yeah, far is right. good. <laughs> in terms of pacing, yeah, I was thinking about it because I kept coming back to it for the sound, and I was like, oh, as, as an individual song, I would like to hear more out of this. But yeah, for its place in the record. Yeah, I mean, in this and in the back seat, and now I think we have basically touched on every song on here, are the Hell yeah. most sort of poignant songs, the most pointed uh, emotionally as to what a lot of the songwriting was about. And so you can't can't knock them for that, even if the rest of the record is so exciting mm-hmm. and so energetic. Um, these ones are sort of the moments where it's like, don't forget, don't forget what it is that we're doing here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you did describe yourself as an album guy, so maybe I should let us get to the second half of the show, where we discuss yet another album, listener. <laughs> will, another it, album. will it be as perfectly paced as Arcade Fire's funeral, this transition? It's about to, it's we to have find the out. definitive voice on this podcast for telling us how well it's paced, so AJ, uh, it, it's it's your ball game, baby. All right, we're going to... We're going to pause the uh, the record player. We're going to pull that bad boy off, move the needle. We're going <laughs> to flip it over, and then we're entering side B of this podcast. Matt, give it to us. This album, uh, I mean, I think I feel about this album the way that AJ feels about Arcade Fire. I, I, to me, this is like one of the great achievements of indie rock. Uh, it's built to spill. Keep it like a secret. Um, came out, I believe, in 99 or 2000. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Built to Spill, long-running Pacific Northwest band. Uh, I'd also definitely encourage you to check out uh, Perfect From Now On, the album before this, and uh, There's Nothing Wrong With Love. Um, but yeah, this is like, to me, I guess, I kind of always called it like the marquee moon of like the the, the 90s to call back the television uh, podcast we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, to me, like, I don't know, man. This came out, and I already liked the band, and then this was just like, I felt like they hit another level of just like, hooks and just constructing these songs with so many different like layers of really simple parts but kind of layered on top of each other um yeah i I just i love everything about this record so i don't know aj if you have a a a history with this at all yeah i I love built to spill uh this as i mentioned is you know probably my favorite album by them i also really like you in reverse which was one of their 21st century albums i think like 2000 that is good Yeah, yeah yeah Is that going against your going against your mind was on that? I think yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good one. That's the yeah. That's the first single on that record. I saw them uh, play First Avenue when I was in Minneapolis. Believe it or not. Oh yeah, uh, man. That was such a great show. But yeah, they're they're rad. They exist for me in that whole space of '90s indie rock, as I mentioned, kind of a kind of a baby when it comes to this sort of stuff. And so they've like always basically been a legacy act for me, lumped in there with like. Uh, super chunk and and broken social scene and all of that kind of stuff but pavement Pavement, yeah definitely this sort of jangle poppy stuff but yeah this record um especially like re-listening to it i've heard all these songs before but it's been a long time since i kind of sat down and did a focused listen to this thing um i think it's also got great pacing the first three tracks are just uh heat after heat after heat um and i didn't realize how great the closing track on this thing is as well uh, I, I did cheat a little bit and go back to what perfect from now on, which is like b- bordering on post rock kind of sounds like that broken chairs song at the end of there too, but just like big long songs. And I don't know why I always thought of built to spill as like a guided by voices more like that, where it's just kind of like, yeah, they'll give you like 40 just short hits, but this is a great record. Yeah. I got, yeah, I got nothing the, against um, it. The nothing wrong with love. The one prior to perfect that that one's definitely more a, a jangly kind of indie pop record. Yeah. They kind of got more. I think he. I suspect he started smoking more weed um, <laughs> as he it, things went on and getting more into like Neil Young and stuff. But uh, 
anyway, we should kick it off. The plan is, you know, the first song. And I think this is like a super just amazing song and really kicks it off. Some some artists say, "Hey, I'm going to start the song with the chorus." And <laughs> I Bil- love Bil- it. Bil- Spill says, Bil- Spill says, "I'm going to make that the song." <laughs> yeah, and I like to be clear again. I fucking love this song. It even has a noise solo, which I'm not usually into, that fits and sounds good. But literally, it's it's the chorus, and I did not think they'd get so much juice out of one melody. It's so weird to me that they're like one of the pacific northwest bands because this just i don't know maybe it's because of what that scene became but this does not have any of that sound to me this like if you put a gun to my head and was like where's built to spill from i would have said somewhere in the midwest right maybe it's his delivery Mm. i don't know what it is but i can't see that yeah also doug is like doug march the uh kind of de facto i mean it's a band but it's it's, it's like basically him, him at this point it's, yeah. like, it's like nine inch nails nine inch, he's like the trent Reznor of like built to spill um <laughs> and uh he there's always the biggest dichotomy between like what he looks like and what you think he looks like when you hear him <laughs> yeah because he kind of looks like the maintenance guy at your building basically <laughs> <laughs> and i always found that really funny who who else has great disparities between what you expect them to look like and what they actually, or excuse, sorry, based on what they sound like, what you expect to see, hmm. and what you actually see. I feel like we brought this up on the podcast before, but I'm always fascinated by it. Maybe, maybe Nick Cave's a good one. He kind of looks oh, like a, like hmm. a ghost in a in a like jet black sheet, and he just sounds. Oh, well, I guess he sounds like a ghost in a jet black sheet. Never yeah, mind. That was a bad I, I example. Think, I think he actually sounds very much like what I. But I I, I can't imagine not knowing what Nick Cave looks like. So. But I like, yeah. There's just so many layers of guitar going on in this record. I just, I love that, and you know, even the noise isn't really like, I don't know. It seems melodic in a way. Like he has a very good melodic sensibility when he comes to writing like little mm-hmm. melodies that kind of interlock. Yeah, there's a lot going on on all of these songs, but not in a way that that's kind of what you take away. I think they're a very melodic band and all of these songs have little earworms that you know i've been repeating motifs or lines from each of them like ad nauseum all day mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think which uh well sidewalk i is like this chorus on sidewalk the uh is just like a, a, such a joyful kind of chorus to me and uh you know, this like I said, this album has a lot of hooks. Whether it's and even the inst- instrumental parts are kind of hooky. So um, let's listen. Let's listen to Sidewalk. Sidewalk stuck out to me. This listen for sure. I should apologize to Sidewalk because earlier I said the first three tracks were all heaters. Sidewalk's a heater too, but it's just kind of like. The record opens so strongly. Sidewalk definitely feels like it's time for something else. Yeah. Come on, pick it up. It's gone on 
great drum drumming, great drum drumming on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm always saying this about records. Yeah, that they always have great drum drumming. Great drum drumming. He's drumming those drums so well. Uh, just like <laughs> fucking kicking, which is sometimes all you need, right? You can hear the the foot pedals on all of these. Mm-hmm. And then they do the halftime, and then they'll they'll do like the double time kind of thing. Feel. Yeah. I love the sort of almost shoegazy guitars on the chorus like just Mm -hmm. sloping straight upwards like it's a slow dive song (laughs) and who knew that would marry so well against those that very like punk drums like you were just saying like the just that consistent rhythm against this you know once every half note or so note changing in the in the uh uh, in the solos i i think about that a lot and how these instruments like tend to marry with one another and how like the rhythm of one sort of complements the melody of the other and this record, like, it shouldn't work as well as it does, especially not this early in the song. Uh, and yet, like, here we are, and it's totally enjoyable, and it's pieced yeah. together like like patchwork. That's that's funny you say slow dive because I, I always these this band is so American. I guess I never really thought about shoegaze, but yeah, I can totally hear that. And it's like you know, similarly to the whole shoegaze thing, these songs are really dense, but they're still tight knit indie rock songs. There's just again so much going on in the instrumentation that they feel like they're creating a lot more than you might think for a song that's like three and a half minutes long but there's movements there's again a sort of noise solo here yeah this is great do you want to hear another one of the first cup like center or carry the zero. I mean, we should probably listen to both of those. Really, those are like yeah. I'm gonna play center. Center of the universe, aka mm-hmm. Weezer. Well, they yeah, totally. That's very like my buddy <laughs> Valentine. They kind of like little glidey. Like, yeah, rrr, yeah. Rrr. I never thought about that. Yeah, they're they're so fundamentally American to me. I just wasn't thinking in those terms. Because shoegaze is so British to me. You say Weezer, I was going to say this basically is a pavement song, but <laughs> might as well be the same thing. Listen, there's room everybody for everybody around this yeah. bonfire. I don't know if Doug would love the Weezer comparison, Jason, probably. But <laughs> pavement, he might be more amenable to. Hey, Unless they Doug, had some weird you, beef wanna, or something. Wanna, yeah, I was going to say, if you want to duke it out, Doug, uh, my email is crossfade at minmax.com. <laughs> get in touch. Someone who looks uh, probably, exactly like what you would expect when you hear their voice would be uh, Rivers Cuomo. I think there's no, yes, yeah. <laughs> no dispute there. It's like <laughs> he some, looks like the Hobbit version of me. Yeah, some fucking nerd cosplaying Buddy Holly. Oh, boom. Got it. <laughs> yup, yup. A wet noodle in a sweater vest. Yeah, the, I mean, the second not, life of Weezer is just confounding to me. I just like. It's so I think bizarre. they're on their like sixth at this point. Yeah, it's just weird. I never of all those bands, I never like in a million years would if you would tell me Weezer would still be relevant in 2022. I was like, unbelievable. Uh, actually, this was the last band I think I saw at First Avenue before COVID. They actually they did a tour where they played this whole album. Oh, that's sick. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. They didn't do it in order, though, which is weird, but it was still cool. That would drive me up the wall. That would, oh. Yeah. I, I love kind of gimmicky shit like that where a band tours an album or something, 
uh, Arcade Fire did it with Funeral. They sort of did three surprise shows at the Hollywood Bowl, and I contemplated what would have been the most expensive concert ticket of my life to fly out to the West Coast to go to those, but couldn't make it happen uh, for the 15th anniversary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was still great. It was just, yeah, they just, they didn't play it in order, but it was, they played all the songs. Doug was very, like, he had a new kind of like this Echoplex kind of unit on this table next to him, and he was very into that. Like, <laughs> so he was doing a lot of weird, trippy, like, uh, they're a little bit more jammy live than this is very tight. Um, yeah. The, so. the show that I saw them play was like ostensibly for their latest record, which was this Untethered Moon, which is actually pretty good. But they basically just sort of did like a, hey, we're built to spill. Here's all of our songs. Yeah. You know, that's what people are paying for. So <laughs> they get it. Um, do you want, well, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, what are we going to next? Oh. Uh, you should probably do carry, oh, carry the, the zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is another jam. Kind of it's always funny to me when a band's most popular song is like you know, arguably still their best song uh which you could pretty fairly make the case for this one. Yeah, just like on this verse like these little guitar kind of curly cues and stuff that you guys go on is just it's amazing. Like the little slide things, and I, I just love how he puts stuff together like this. Yeah, which is a really basic chord change, but he just has these little things that are all you know in and out of the track. I'd love to know what like the pedal setup for this record was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was reading something about it this week, and I, apparently he, um, him and Phil Ack from the Microphones tried. He tried to do this whole album himself without a band. And I guess it didn't go well, and so and then Phil Eck was driving with the master tapes in his car, and it got hot, and they melted. <laughs> so this was like his second um, run at this album, actually. That's hilarious. I, I never knew that. Yeah. Maybe here's a good place to talk about how this album came together. Matt, you were telling me a little bit about how it's kind of actually pieced together from jams. Oh, I, I no, I, is it? Oh, I don't no, know. Maybe, I didn't, maybe I don't you think, didn't, I didn't tell me tell that. that. It might be though. I don't know. It I feels really read, tight for that though. I don't know. Yeah, I thought I read that it was like okay. So on his last record, and I might have just been reading this from Wikipedia. Maybe I'm attributing Matt. You're just such a source of resource. Are you resource of knowledge? <laughs> yeah. Such a no. Uh, I, I didn't know that. Like person. No, but uh, on Wikipedia, I think it says that it was built from like jam sessions that lasted hours and hours. And he just had a foot pedal recording device that he would just like click on when he heard something that worked, click oh, off when okay. he was done and just let the jam go. And then they, you know, piece together songs out of it later, uh, reviewing, which I can't imagine doing reviewing hours and hours of music just to pull out good parts and put them into songs. But does that, does it sound like that to you then? Does that, does that match up with how you no, hear this I, record? I, no, I, I, I see it as like super tight. Um, I mean, the previous album seems more jammy to me, but I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes when I really like an album, I don't really try to like learn too much about like how the sausage was made. You know what I mean? Mm, So I I actually, for how much I love this album, I don't, I've not really like dug super deep into it. Some things are better left to be magic, but I guess I was interested because there are parts like those noise solos we were talking about. And even throughout, you know, pretty much every track goes here at some point. Where it's like, okay, so we've got a basic rhythm, we're going to play with that rhythm sometimes, and we're going to play with the riff that we're playing over top of it sometimes, and that, to me, is jam music. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get that. I think most bands I was ever in, it was kind of like we had like a cassette recorder and then later a digital recorder that was just like, you know, we'd just play stuff and be like, that's kind of cool. That mm-hmm. was cool, you know, and kind of file it away. This is like, you know, kind of the the bridge of the song we're talking about if the song has a bridge here, which is just like, mm. it definitely has that, I don't even know what to call it you know 90s jangle rock attitude to it with the the vocal delivery and and the lyrical stuff it's just kind of they don't make them like this anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> no, they don't make them like this yeah for, that's for sure but i love how this song has so many things that could almost pass for the chorus but it's just like the bridge <laughs> yeah. goes to another part yeah, he was at this point. He just he had such a knack for catchy melodies. At this point in his career, he was just like just spitting them out. Again, this might be one of my refuses to end. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say this is one of my favorite parts on the record because it does play with like the right the melody and it goes to that burn part with oh man that's the part that's been stuck in my head all week. Yeah, it's like it's like the guitar parts are hooks in themselves, you know, not just mm-hmm. vocals. I think it's still not over. No, no, it's no. good. Yeah, it just keeps going to like you think it's done and then it goes. There's, to the there's literally a minute level. left on the on the Spotify <laughs> version here. <laughs> Doug's feeling it, man. That is to say, we've heard my favorite part, so I'm good to jump whenever you guys cool. are. Um, I know you you uh, want to talk about broken chairs, and that was one that I you know again like. I just hadn't listened to this forever, and I kind of forgot about. It. And I was also like, "This is a good song." And it's a yeah. little bit darker and kind I'd of. I'd love to touch a different on. Vibe. I'd love to touch on. You were right a little bit too, because that song's so funny. Well, we had, yeah, I figured we'd have to talk that. You, you want to do that? Because I mean, that's like a the. So this is, I think, was as close as maybe there was to like not a hit, but I mean, this is a great song because I think it, it was really a potentially horrible idea that almost feels like it grew out of like a joke about like classic rock cliches yeah. and stuff. But then it almost takes on like its own kind of power and like kind of transcends the joke in some way. Um, but you know, it's just interesting. I mean, it, it's a really it's a really creative way to just like you know, kind of rehash like some warhorse classic rock stuff, um, in in kind of a new way. All right, here we go. You were right. You could also skip right to the guitar solo at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> kind of one of those songs you can only write once you know let's oh, let's sure. take <laughs> all of the pastiche lyrics of the past 30 someone could probably do it again now but you know let's take all right. these uh corny pop lines and make a song out of them i also definitely think doug's voice contributes to this song being so kind of snarky and sassy if someone trying to croon this probably wouldn't have the same effect 
Mm-hmm. He does have a significant, I, I guess, upper register voice is sort of what yeah, I call but, but like almost nasally, but in like a punk kind of way that, yeah, lends it to those longer extent. You were wrong. Sing-songy in a way. Sing-songy. I love those little two bing bong like harmonics he does. Yeah. Yes, I mean you mentioned punk. He's like Doug would have dated back to the you know punk like kind of eighties. He was in a band called Tree People before this. Um, that were actually pretty cool. And um, what was the other thing he had? Halo Benders. Love that game. Tree People and Halo. <laughs> <laughs> Again with those soaring guitars, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love that he took that John Cougar Mellencamp uh, <laughs> out of Jack and Diane. He does it twice, right? Or he takes that and, uh... Is it... Does he do Running on Empty in this one? I forget. Yeah, uh, no, he does uh, Against the Wind. That's right, yeah. The Door, he just did The Doors, this is the end. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, really, it's a really cool song, I think. I mean, it, like, I like songs that like are really horrible on paper that <laughs> somehow get, like pulled out of the fire you know and this riff is just oh, this part's awesome bass doing here it's kind of hard to pluck out <laughs> just there it is there it is a little bit more clear yeah. definitely something that wasn't sticking out earlier mm-hmm. yeah i mean i wouldn't say the bass the bass playing is super distinctive i also wonder how much it was like a band or if he was just hopping on bass and like overdubbing it after the fact i'm not sure Yeah, it's definitely like I, I hear a lot of like Neil Young and Crazy Horse in some of these like extended parts. Just like the real simple kind of lead playing. Dude, when you saw him, did they do Cortez the Killer by Neil Young for like 15 minutes? <laughs> I don't think so. I can't remember. That's a kind of a staple. That's a kind of a staple. I can probably they... go ahead and pull the set list up. <laughs> um. 
Let's hear um, Broken Chairs. We, we were talking about that one, too. And this one was cool. I, I didn't, like, remember it as well, but I, I thought this is sort of a nice change of pace uh, at the end of the album and a little darker vibe. I mean, this is probably the closest to real classic rock they get. Yeah, I mean, again, this one feels post-rocky to me. It's just like such a sweet, a big nine-minute, mostly instrumental closer. It kind of rules. Sorry, I get to listening to this like I'm just listening to a record. I, you know, I, I know I should be saying. Yeah, things, I'm bopping along. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Jason. If we want to like skip ahead, I, I wish I had the timestamps of like when it changes. I'll just have fun with it. Yeah, why not? We're about three minutes. Situation remains very similar. <laughs> This is one that, you know, slow build. It's just a slow burn. Yeah, yeah. Is this good podcasting, everybody? Are we doing this right? You've been through a big, twangly guitar odyssey. You want to kind of come down. It's come, coming. Yeah, we're coming down from the... From the high... I guess overall, like, what's... What do you think the kind of legacy of this record in particular uh, with regards to Built to Spill is? Um, to me, it was sort of like... Oh, yeah, here we go. Let's get... <laughs> I always feel like certain, like at, at certain times, like um, bands kind of... They have a certain thing that they kind of work on, and then they're just sometimes there's an album where it, like, it's not really different from what they did before, but it seems like it became a little more like focused and maybe accessible in some ways or or just more realized i don't know if i'm making sense here but because this it certainly wasn't like a left turn for them but i just remember when i first heard it, it was like wow this is like it just felt like a, a step up for them and i i, I you know I, I think still to this day it's probably i mean you know considered probably their peak or you know some people kind of like the kind of the more far out kind of you know post-rock thing of uh perfect from now on but um 
yeah, it, it just felt like they they were really clicking, like you know, on all cylinders, you know, and just sort of this is what they were supposed to do, you know what I mean, as a band. Yeah, they were on a tear for these first couple of records too. Like this is just a kind of a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a crowning moment where it's just sort of like right they're a pretty darn important rock band they keep making good music yeah i always imagine i know i think he lives in some small town uh like you know a couple hours outside of portland or something and i always just imagine like this kind of like schlumpy bearded guy with like a ratty like <laughs> hoodie and like big jeans walking around and i'm sure there's people in that town that don't realize like oh yeah that guy that quiet guy like he can go to any city in the world and like 1500 people will show up to pay 20 bucks, you know, like, cause he doesn't, he looks so opposite of what you would imagine a, like a rock guy looks like. He's got like a rock kind of nerd sort of <laughs> manner to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, yeah, and he's just such a good guitar player, you know, not in a chopsy way. I mean, he has chops to a certain degree, but it's just like he's... I kind of prefer this type of guitar kind of heroism, I guess, if you want to call it that, where it's just, like, it's more of a melodic sensibility than, um, like, a look-what-I-can-do kind of thing. Has Built to Spill made anything that's even arguably better than this record? Or is this kind of like um, everybody agrees this is it? I think some people will say Perfect from Now On is their favorite. And um, There's Nothing Wrong with Love is really great. They're a little bit more of a jangly kind of indie pop band. Mm-hmm. Maybe less like guitar. But that's sort of a different thing. But that I think is a really, really catchy and really fun really great record just sort of like before they kind of evolved into this thing so I, I would say any of those three you know those other two um are and uh universe i think is underrated i'm glad you yeah i, I, sort of I stick up for that one. one i think i would hold it up like with this this run they did ancient melodies of future which was okay but it kind of felt like trying to do this album again to like less result um but yeah you i really i for, i should pull that out i don't know um, if i've ever listened to that one up. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's not bad. There's some really good songs on there, but um, yeah, like "Liar" off of "You in Reverse" is maybe my favorite yeah. song of theirs. Yeah, so they, I mean, they have a good catalog. I should really, I didn't know they had a newer one out. I should check that out. I didn't. I kind of lost touch. It was good. The um, singles off of that one were definitely cool. Good. Well, we've been on some epic rock journeys on this episode of Crossfade. It's been, been uh, through it's it. been super fun, and um. AJ man, I really enjoyed the conversation. This was great, and it was. Um, I love indie rock, kind of baby. You know, yeah, it was fun to <laughs> fun to um, just revisit a couple albums. You know, that were sort of kind of iconic indie rock albums of their time that I hadn't really listened to for a long time. Um, so that's I always really enjoy coming back to stuff I haven't listened to for a long time. Um, anything on the horizon for you with the the podcast or work or anything? Yeah. Um, well, I was uh, on the most recent episode of the Indie Heads podcast or 
perhaps not the most recent when we listened to it. I was on the final episode of our miniseries uh, Five Morons versus Maroon 5, where we were listening to uh, every Maroon 5 album and trying to <laughs> chart why they are such a powerful staying force in American pop music. Um, and now wow. that that series is wrapped up, we'll be hosting a, a Maroon 5-themed uh, live stream where we'll be watching song parodies, behind-the-scenes clip, lots of uh, MTV stuff. Uh, Got to shout out Gavin from the Indie Heads podcast, who is one of the most talented internet users of all time and manages to find videos that you never would have thought would have existed. So he's put together uh, several hours of, of very fun stuff <laughs> for us to watch. And uh, that stream is going to... Uh, here's a pivot for you. That stream is going to uh, be fundraising for uh, trans youth in Texas. We haven't picked a specific charity that we're going to be donating the money to, but you can tune into that. Um, go check out Indie Heads Pod on Twitter or we have a Patreon for all the details there. Or come join our Discord. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, and follow me on Twitter at Radmuir for everything else I do. That's great. I'm very intrigued by this Maroon 5 thing. Um, we mentioned Weezer earlier. They have that similar thing to Weezer where I'm always like, wow, these guys are like still a thing. Yeah. I, and, I, but they, <laughs> they tend to like still be a thing year after year after year. And I always feel like they should just be like kind of Sugar Ray or something the, like playing state fairs or something. The sort of thesis that we ended up landing on is that they they really connect with moms and aunts, which are one of the most powerful contingents uh, <laughs> in American popular music and politics. And so it kind of makes sense how they've persevered. But, you know, they do have some some hits. I think that first Maroon 5 record, like, actually doesn't get enough credit for sort of how I, I want like a John Mayer kind of style reclamation of that early Maroon 5 stuff, because it's pretty good. Songs About Jane is like a good record. Cool. Huh, I'm going to have to check this out. I'm very intrigued by the concept. Um, uh, also, on a more serious note, um, you know, obviously, we're talking about, you know, very uh, silly stuff in comparison to what's going on in Ukraine right now. Um, I did want to call out a, um, an a organization called Direct Relief. You can find them at directrelief.org or at Direct Relief on Twitter. Um, I just donated to them. They're, they're really vetted as a responsible charity, and they're putting uh, emergency medical supply kits on the ground into the hands of uh, Ukraine citizens and uh, trying to also work to provide more oxygen, which is a, a shortage in hospitals over there. So if you're looking for a way to help with a responsible organization that's, um, you know, obviously providing very necessary supplies over there, um, I encourage you to check out directrelief.org. Cool. And you'll find uh, links to all of those things in the show notes. Uh, for now, I want to ask AJ, if you've got a little bit of time, uh, we'd love to ask you some questions from the MinMax community. Yes. <laughs> That's Jesus. the spirit. I yeah, like that. Yeah, wow. Go Never get him. That enthusiastic response. <laughs> uh, okay, well, right <laughs> off the bat, we've got Mike Lynch who says, Hey, y'all, uh, why do you think that we woo so much at concerts now? Maybe our bodies finally said this clapping shit hurts our hands too much. Uh, what's your hypothesis, AJ, about why woo is so prominent at concerts? That was a pretty good uh, pretty good answer right there because we're all tired of clapping. Uh, mm -hmm. why, do we, why do we woo? Um, it's, it's not, it can't, it's hard to misconstrue a woo in a crowd, you know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. recognizably positive. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like true. a hey or an O oh could be taken the wrong way. A woo is just generally supportive and, uh, transcends language barriers, right? Unless, unless it doesn't, <laughs> but it's sort of just a, gu it a also, guttural sound. It, it also has, and we're like, 
one half of a rhyme scheme away from a Dr. Seuss po- uh, poem, but at, like <laughs> literally it takes the least amount of effort of any sound you can make with your body. That's, that's still opening <laughs> your mouth and still like project sound. I got to say that's, that's what puts it in the top five sounds for me to make at a concert. Matt, do you I, even think about this ever? I, I agree with your observations, both your observations, but I, I reject the premise of the question. <laughs> I, I was going to shows in the nineties and people were wooing back then. I oh, guarantee wow. if you went to like a friggin' like, Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchett show in like 75 people were wooing back then. I think the woo is <laughs> the woo transcends generations of rock. It's, it's a constant, you know, just people want to woo, you know, it's it'll just, be here. It was the, the woo was here before <laughs> me and you It'll um, be there when we're gone. Yeah. That's listen, we got to workshop this sometime. Who invented uh, the woo, right? From who is the woo? <laughs> uh, Tanner Hoisington asks, takes a, well, I, I background here. I put takes ahoy in the, uh, in the, uh, Patreon post because I figured AJ might have some takes. He, he does. Uh, and I said, takes ahoy then, uh, and, and Tanner takes me up on my, um, on my, on my bet says that I'd want to give my ranking of arcade fires albums and ask AJ to do the same. I apologize if this, this didn't make it through to you, AJ, I'm realizing maybe now this, okay, didn't that's fine. Email, this is but, something I have but, in my brain at all but times. Bet, yeah. I, I was, I was guessing that you would have one of these chambered. So just for reference, Tanner's is neon Bible. Number one. Suburbs 2, Reflector 3, Everything everything Now 4, and Routing Out the 5 is Funeral. He says, I'm sorry, AJ. I started with Neon Bible, and Wake Up just doesn't do anything for me anymore. That's a wild take. To listen to Funeral and say it's the worst is, you know, mind-boggling to me. Do you need a second? Weren't people people upset about that album they put out a couple years ago? Yeah, Everything Now was uh, not Um, (laughs) well-received. I didn't hear it, but I just remember a little bit of, like, sniping on it. I'm probably that album's biggest defender uh, on the planet. I might be the person who likes that album the most out of every human being uh, that exists. Jesus. But, uh, so, so you're thinking it's two, three, my ranking and I'll go, I'll go a step further. I'll do ranking and rating uh, my hell. Yeah. So ranking number one, perfect 10 uh, funeral number two, also a perfect 10 neon Bible uh, number three, everything now, which I would give uh, a nine uh, reflector at four, which I would give an eight, five, and the suburbs uh, dead last, which I would give an eight, which also someone would say that's insane for me to have the suburbs rank last. But it's just Arcade Fire is like my favorite band and the suburbs is not what I love about Arcade Fire, even though for a lot of people hmm. it is. OK, so this will be my actually I listened to everything now. <laughs> believe it or not, that was my first Arcade Fire record was everything now. I did not bother to listen to anything from them aside from the singles like, and obviously like the, the football jingles. Critically, it was a dud, but uh, especially the title track like was a hit. I think that record did OK. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fool, so I can't trust, trust my own judgment, but I, I liked listening to it. Wouldn't call myself a defender. I, I guess where would you say I go next? Having heard like the critical high and the critical low from Arcade Fire. Um, Reflector's a great middle ground between the two. Uh, it definitely charts their experimentation into more electronic-sounding music, which, you know, everything now is basically a full-blown pop record. It's them at their most U2-esque. And Reflector, particularly Side B, Reflector's a double album. Um, so the second half of Reflector is some of their darkest, spaciest, moodiest stuff. Uh, and I really love hmm. the tracks on that second half. I was listening to your, I think the Strokes episode uh, earlier this week, oh, yeah. and uh, you talked about making playlists of your own, like re-editing classic albums and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I listen to Reflector these days, if it's not my 
vinyl copy. I have a playlist where I've sort of trimmed out some of the fat. Uh, I, I've that playlist is uh, emphatically titled "Reflector," but it's a ten out of ten album, and that one's just long. <laughs> I like it a lot, but they definitely uh, could have, you know, some of those could have just been bonus tracks. I think it's a good mm. album, though. Am I hallucinating? Did they get Bowie on that one? Yeah, Bowie's on the title track, uh, uncredited vocals. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. How do you uncredit fucking David Bowie? I think he, I think he's in. The, I think he's in the music uh. video too. They're all wearing paper mache heads in the music video, and I think he's uh, one of them. Sometimes they used to do that. You know, I remember like there's things on '60s records or '70s records with like Ringo Starr, and he's like, you know, you know, Ed Spaghetti or something <laughs> because of like, you know. <laughs> Well, they just bill him that because he's like under contract. How do you label how do you come all. up with a fake name that sounds more normal than Ringo Starr? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, that's that, I'm making that totally up. There's oh, okay. Ed Spaghetti though. I like that. That's a really good. Somebody should be Eddie. There's got to be an Eddie Spaghetti out there. Anyway, there's got to be an Eddie Spaghetti. I don't want to get sidetracked. Eddie but Spaghetti. I think it's probably beyond, a contractual thing with like Bowie's label and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, the second half of Tanner's question is one that I remember sending you, uh, and it is. Was the aughts the golden age of indie music? And if so, how can we ever reach those heights again? I mean, it was probably the zenith, right, for that particular wave of of indie music. Uh, Mm. uh, Speaking again from not experience here, but like the music, you know, the rock music that was sort of popular in alternative spaces in the 90s was more of that indie leaning stuff. And then it just sort of... There was just more and more of it uh, as you move into the odds where mm-hmm. stuff like Arcade Fire was still under the radar in favor of other rock records like, I don't know, whatever the Foo Fighters and like the White Stripes were doing. The White Stripes kind of started small, but I think grew pretty quickly. Um, um, they were out earlier than you think, though. I want to say their first stuff was yeah. like 98, yeah, 97 that's even. Um, like they were because they were just on like that, like uh, some of those garage rock labels. But yeah, they they didn't you know they were around before they blew up a little bit i mean even even looking at the two records we talked about today uh the built to spill record is 99 that's kind of the peak of their career arguably and then it's five years later i think you know they're how for how close together they are chronologically i think built to spill and arcade fire are two separate waves of indie um totally mm -hmm. yes i mean totally to me like there were some albums like this one um uh, nothing turned its, uh, itself inside out by Yola Tango from 2000. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a great route. But that, those felt like that was definitely the, you know, the nineties, you know, that's what how I always listened to in the nineties. And those people were really more eighties people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were like older than us. If there, if there I, is I a know. bridge, I yeah. feel like it's broken social scene who tread those two generations pretty close together. Their yeah. early stuff was what, like 2001, even 2002. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. it, these questions are tough because, like, people always, like, there's always Twitter people like, what was the best generation of video games? I'm always like, when were you 13? <laughs> yeah. You know, when were you 12? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's what it was. And I always feel like, you're kind of interesting, AJ, because, like, you're actually talking about stuff that was, you were younger than that. But usually I feel like, be like, what was a great indie rock era? And it'd be like, well, when were you, like, 25, 26? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, right now. Like, uh... like, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do like the 2010s indie a lot, um, but that was what I like to call like, you know, big indie, uh, the vampire weekend and the LCD Renaissance and, mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I definitely just in my personal taste 
go back to to the aught stuff more often like the sort of freak folk uh movements and another one of my favorite artists of all time the, i almost picked a joanna newsome record for this episode um oh yeah like, like her and devondra barnhart and that. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that, those kind of movements were were my speed um but i do want to say that i think the moment we're in right now for like hyper pop stuff and that sort of music is just a different flavor of this kind of stuff um but mm. it's cool to see what i was talking about with funeral which are these surprising records or big things that sort of come out of nowhere and then are are hard to to ignore with artists like phoebe bridgers and mitski uh you know great indie is still happening these days but i think uh records like the hundred gex record are you know comparable to what happened with arcade fire funeral which was just like Everybody hears this thing, and then there are now a hundred bands a year later who are trying to sort of capture that energy. And we've got a movement, yeah. and we're running with it. So, uh, the 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 golden age of you know indie rock might be over, but there's good stuff happening uh, all around us. So so yeah, open up your ears. Yeah, I mean, don't you pigeonhole know, I, it. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's always stuff coming up. You know, I I do think the era of like, um. I do think that early 2000s kind of boom um, with, you know, we did the strokes last time we did this, uh, you know, white stripes things. I mean, I think that was sort of the, the last gasp of like the rock era as being like the dominant music. I don't think it's ever going to be. I just don't think kids today mainstream really come up with rock as a, as the biggest music genre. It's just not right. It's hip hop yeah, for sure. You remember, you, you remember when, um, what was it 2012 or whatever when fun came out with that one song and everybody was like this is the rebirth of rock this is mainstream rock come like come again in the second coming okay. you remember when that happened <laughs> yeah and they were and they were right okay but like but may, maybe Jesus they Christ. maybe they oversold it uh, I, 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 I mean i mean you know but there's also stuff now you know you never anticipate like because you know i i I was really into like a lot of math rock and weird kind of avant-garde stuff in the 90s and then like all of a sudden there's these english young 22 year olds like black midi that are doing stuff oh man yeah black midi bands that like i think are the most exciting band in the world right now yeah i mean they remind me of bands like you know thrill jockey bands from like 97 i was like i never thought that stuff would come back ever in a million years like that really chopsy weird kind of off kilter stuff yeah horse lords is another band the new uh the new black country new road record is one i've seen a lot of people compare specifically to arcade fires funeral uh it does sound a lot (laughs) like it but just kind of inter- I have trouble with that guy. Yeah, I mean, the voice on that. Yeah, that's a love it or hate tough. it voice. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that I, I band for like sure. Him, but, but I'm trying to think of like you know, uh, there, you know, there's always some cool bands. Like, uh, I mean, I do like, I do like, you know, they're the most hype band right now. But I think Big Thief is a really great band. Yeah, I mean that um, like the new sure. new record is like I think the best album of like the past five years. Uh, yeah. It's very and good. I, uh, what's the other one? Parquet Courts, which I think. I like them probably because they do that kind of throwback to the more '90s style of like indie, in my opinion. Cat Laban, I think, is kind of a genius. Yeah, Barty Strange um, is doing a lot of really interesting stuff, yeah. and I mean, Japanese I Breakfast, rock. the the goat, gotta gotta get that shout out in there. Yeah, oh, what's that band? The Baths. I thought that was kind of a fun kind of '90s throwback record. So there's always that pop band, Jason. That, that you told me about that, didn't you? Pup, love pop pup pup rules. Love pup. I'm going to see them next month. Yeah, yeah, they were just really fun, like kind of like punky pop indie kind of stuff you know so there's yeah. always bands i just don't know if there's ever going to be i think there'll always be kids that embrace it as sort of an alternative to maybe what's going on fifth um, wave emo is their... popping off right now jesus <laughs> yeah. oh my god sentences yeah to make i'm, Matt I'm, cool. I'm die. cool on that i'm cool on that <laughs> i don't know um uh, Matt, you, gotta, just, yeah. you gotta be at the pup show with me i think it's april something 
You gotta, you gotta go. Uh, yeah, they seem not, like they'd it's be not fun. expensive. They they yeah. do roll. Um, cool. Seen them a couple times live, and both both in the cities here, and they do rock real hard. We got a couple more questions from the Min Max community. Uh, one comes from Chris Logan, who actually left this question just by the by uh, for the Min Max show. We do actually see those, and Ben does send them to me once in a while. They might make it to me, but we are the music show, so keep that in mind. Uh, Chris Logan says you're in charge of booking the next big music festival. I believe we might have asked this one on another uh, episode of Crossfade, but I really wanted to get AJ's opinion too. Um, you can hire three musical acts, past or present, alive or dead, it doesn't matter. Which three artists do you choose for this festival, and which one is headlining? AJ. Yeah, uh, this one like put me into a kind of just like brain shutdown mode because there were a ton of directions I could have gone in. But uh, a, a fucked up thing that happened to me over the course of the pandemic was I got really into jam bands um, and oh, like I'm so sorry. became a huge deadhead. Um, so. I kind of cultivated something I think that that honors the legacy and and pulls some of my favorite bands uh, from from right now. So I'm going, uh, you know, modern War on Drugs, who I just saw do a headlining show at Madison Square Garden, which was rad. But the, they've cool. built up their library. I think they're another one of the best bands working right now, and they've built up their library of original material into something that's really incredible right now. And I mean, they played for almost three hours, and it was just like all songs where I was oh my God. bugging and losing my mind over. Yeah, they're great. They're doing like, I think they're doing like uh, 300 shows or something this year, so you can probably see them. They're probably coming somewhere close to you. Um, and into like 2009 era animal collective because they did say past or present alive or dead so i'm plucking uh, specific Mm -hmm. you know specific iterations of bands uh right after meriwether post pavilion animal collective where it's you know still the four boys still hanging out um and then and then 72 dead uh headlining I don't see oh, 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 like Europe. Yep. 72. Yeah, Europe 72. Morning, morning, dude. That's the one that, that, you know, yeah, I tried for a long yeah. time to get into the Grateful Dead and the Europe 72 record is the moment it all finally connected for me. And now I, I haven't yeah, looked back. I, I, I like the dead. I mean, I've grown to put it this way. I feel like I like the dead the exact correct amount <laughs> and everybody likes them more or too much or too less too less so but yeah i, I like i've grown to the, like the did there's still some kind of shambly elements to their thing that it kind of bothered me and I, I wish they had better drummers but um yeah i've, I've grown to appreciate it. europe 72 is definitely that that's the era i think that that early let me that 72 to 74 75 is kind of the sweet spot mm-hmm. for them um there's what's that one the old renaissance fairgrounds that one's pretty good anyway we we don't dead's a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah dead is a whole nother podcast i <laughs> um, i know well, I, so this is I guess I'm going to slight new music just because if you're allowing me to bring like things back from the dead, I'm yeah. going to take advantage of that. Right. So, um, because I could see like, you know, warrant drugs. Um, so I would like to see, um, the miles Davis electric band, maybe like 69, 70, um, you know, kind of bitches brew era. I would love to see that band. Yeah. I would actually, I would love to see, <laughs> um, I would love to see a, a Elvis, like, las vegas era elvis show with all the crazy like drugged out banter and stuff <laughs> um and then and then just because of, like being a look at i mean I, I would love to see like um the like you know 70s led zeppelin just to see it um you know just because like i don't know i feel like if i can bring people back from the dead i should bring them back to see stuff i'll never be able to see so those would be my picks i just know that these venues smell crazy yeah. after these shows <laughs> oh my god uh, Adam Castellanos says, what's up dudes? I really love the podcast. I'm really happy to hear the new episodes. Thank you very much, Adam. 
I'm sorry, AJ. I do this time to time. I just read adulation from our fans before our guests so that they can be a little bit, you know, impressed. Yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to toot your own horn sometimes. Uh, what do you think is the best way to get into listening to an artist you haven't listened to before? Do you start with their popular songs or do you listen to a whole album? And if so, which album? The first, the newest, etc. Thank you very much. Um, AJ, I'll let you take it away for the final question. Yeah, I think these days it's pretty easy to figure out what a band's like definitive record is. Um, that was kind of hard as i was saying for for the a band like the grateful dead when i was trying to get into them where it was just like i started listening to songs until i figured out which ones i liked and then charted my own course from there but not all bands are as sprawling as them i always say poke around you can kind of figure it out on apple music or on spotify or whatever like you'll you'll see whatever uh album art you recognize the most and then just like start there and, and mess around uh reddits are all great uh you could just go ask that question or most bands have their own dedicated subreddit where that question's been asked a million times so they've kind of just got it Mm -hmm. pinned to the top of their page um i think we are lucky in as far as it's probably easier than ever to get into bands these days um Mm -hmm. yeah for sure oh god yeah for sure everything's right there i mean you can just it's super easy I, i would recommend i agree i would recommend the album maybe with a few exceptions like certain genres like i would say anything pre mid sixties, you know, like R and B groups or soul groups or like, uh, you know, older jazz stuff where it was like, really, they just released singles mostly, or like, you know, they weren't really about albums at that point. You know, I think it makes more sense to like, if you want to check out like, you know, whatever Diana Ross. I mentioned. Yeah. I also think not to cut in, if they've got a live album, I would say almost always start with the live album. Those are usually great recordings and you kind of get a sense for the band, like, as who they are yeah i think i think more bands should do live albums um just because i i do love live music and live shows like that but especially if they preserve some stage banter or they're doing covers or whatever it is uh that's like where i would start probably nice that's very healthy attitude Jason, to have. this is like something i just meant to tell you and I, i'm just but a record story about um i, I know you love like 70s soul stuff a lot uh-huh. donny Hathaway, hathaway live i bought that at, on record store day it's like oh, a nice. fantastic live album from like maybe the 75, 76. Anyway. Hey, I have one of his records. I don't remember. What, it might be like a greatest hits or something, uh, but I'll have to check the, the Don Hathaway. Donny Hathaway. Thank you. I will That's take tough. that, take that and uh, maybe add it to my own. Was it a, a new re-release or was it a um, an old pickup? I, mean, I, I guess it was just reissued on vinyl for record store day. I don't know if it's probably, I mean, sure it's available on streaming and stuff, so it shouldn't be hard to find. Sick, sick. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, that's the recommendations. I'll have to say that uh, thank you to everybody who left a question uh, on Patreon. You can look for another post in another couple of weeks here when we record another episode. But uh, before we go uh, to the outro, I'm going to let you know that we play a community song at the end of every episode. And this week's is from Adam Zimmer, who says, in light of two incredible albums um, from the uh, early aughts, late 90s indie uh, scenes, we have Freshman Thesis by San Francisco indie band The More Shallows. That's two E's in the uh, from the 2004 album, More Deep Cuts. I'll play that over the outro as Matt gives us the go. We thank you for listening, obviously. And if you want to support what we do and, and Hanson and all the guys at MinMax, go to patreon.com slash MinMax, M-I-N-N-M-A-X. And, you know, if you there's a, a Discord for uh, music and, and crossfade discussion that you can be involved in. It's, it should be a lot of fun. So I encourage you to do that if you want to. Uh, AJ. Again, thanks so much for for being here. This is super fun, and um, thanks, man. You know, it was a blast. Like do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. yeah. And um, good luck with. Um, I, I'm I'm very intrigued about the Maroon Five tapes. So I might <laughs> go check that out this week. Yeah, it um, was but, uh, uh, it was a journey. 
Yeah, no, that's good. Um, but seriously, thanks, and, and you know, good luck with everything you got going on. To you as well. Thank you.